This episode is hosted by Sean Falconer. Sean's been an academic founder and Googler. He has published works covering a wide range of topics from information visualization to quantum computing. Currently, Sean is head of developer relations and product marketing at Skyflow and host of the podcast, Partiality Redacted, a podcast about privacy and security engineering. Today, we spoke to Toma Pujlak and Vedran Jukic of Code Anywhere. We discuss cloud-based dev environments, cloud-based IDEs, infrastructure as code, dev containers, and live collaboration. Toma, Vedran, welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome. So this is my first time doing actually an in-person podcast recording and also my first time with multiple guests and my first time doing a podcast in Croatia and your first time on the show. So lots of firsts today. Let's just start off with some basics. Can you introduce yourself, give a little bit of background for how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, Toma is younger, so... Okay, so uh, Toma Pulak, I'm 22 years old. I've been a software developer for about six years now, I guess. I've been at Code Anywhere for the past, I think, three or four years, where now I'm part of the core team for B2B integrations and ID customizations. And how I ended up here, basically, software development's been a part of most of my life, and I met the veteran through one of my friends four years ago and then this is how that story basically started yeah wow i'm surprised that you waited until you were 16 to start your software engineering career. <laughs> <laughs> i'm veteran i'm 41 as well i've been developer for as long as i remember started this project as a pet project uh, i think it was 2009 or 8 and it got traction really fast, and then Ivan Burazin, he's also founder of Shift Conference, he joined me back then, and we started the company. So in 2012, we incorporated in U.S., and the rest we'll talk about here. Great, yeah. I definitely want to get into the history of Code Anywhere and discuss some of the evolution of the product through you know the last like 12 years. But before we kind of jump too deep into that, we've been at the InfoBip uh, Shift Conference in Zadar, Croatia, all week. My first time here, as I mentioned, it's Game of Thrones country, and it's you know been absolutely great experience for me so far. But how has the conference been for you, and I guess how does it compare to prior years? I was from the beginning involved in, uh, in conference, not actively, but as I said, Ivan was a micro founder in Code Anywhere. So, and from the first humble beginning, this conference in the last few years started to look very very serious. I mean, it's I would compare it to a biggest conferences in Europe. Yeah, I mean, from my experience, my first time here. I don't see any difference between, you know, coming to this conference versus any other, you know, top tier tech conference. I think it's a very high quality presenters, high quality companies that are participating. So you, Toma, you presented, you know, new features of Code Anywhere, and I definitely want to get into that. But before we get too deep, can you first explain what is Code Anywhere? So Code Anywhere is basically a development platform that aims to standardize, move development environments to the cloud. And we use a concept called infrastructure as code that's been previously associated with DevOps, but we translate that concept into development environments. And we basically aim to revolutionize how software development works. Yeah, and we all attended uh, Sean Wang's talk this week as well on the, the idea of end of local hosts, which is essentially the idea that development environments should be moving in the cloud. And he was saying it. In a lot of ways, this is still early days, and there's still problems to be solved in the space, and it's an emerging area. But as you mentioned, veteran, you know, 
incredibly first, you know, the first Code Anywhere prototype was started in 2009, which is over 10 years ago. And we're talking about it being early days now. So you were super, super early to this idea of coding in the browser. Can you talk a little bit about the initial idea and the initial prototype and some of the history of the company and the platform? Yep. So it, it was really early. And I think that's um, one reason that I got traction so fast. And I was doing a, a lot of uh, web development back then. And I was kind of frustrated that I couldn't move around easily. And there was this uh, Google Docs starting to uh, become popular. And it offered the ability to Gmail, uh, Google Docs, and they offered the ability to access your documents or email, uh, whatever you are. You just needed a device. And that got me thinking, I need some tool for development that I can quickly do some fixes, updates to a website. So that was the part of my life. I did a lot of different projects. They were not serious projects. There was no pipelines for deployment. So it, it was very basic, FTPing to servers and, 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 and making changes. And that's how I started the first prototype. It was basically an FTP client in, in a browser that you could easily make some changes on existing sites. And I remember I, I released the project one night and I got up tomorrow and there was like 60 people already signed up and uh, by the end of the week there was more than 300 people and then I said like wow this, this is becoming like a... and then I joined the forces with Ivan. Ivan was back then he was very uh, entrepreneurship you know he, he had this mindset of he wanted to go to Silicon Valley to make something big he, he needed a product I didn't know that he was just like a guy that was uh, really good and he, he hanged out when he saw the idea, he said, "Like, wow, this is this is a big this 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 will this will change development." I was like, "I don't believe so." But after a year, we grew. The users kept coming. We added more and more features. I mean, that was very primitive back then. So later, we moved on to introduce containers. You could uh, run code in the cloud, but that was again code anywhere. You are. What I'm talking about, this predates code anywhere. It was a tool calling PHP anywhere, and it was meant for PHP developers that were doing WordPress and some or uh, PHP sites. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how we start. Yeah, and I imagine like the like editor abilities back in 2009 must have been pretty rudimentary compared to what we're able to do today. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that was the time when Adobe Flash was a thing. So I, I remember that I was kind of thinking that I should do this in a Flash. Thank God I, I didn't go that way. Because I was frustrated that you couldn't do so much in a browser. Of course, you could do much more than I, I could at that time, but uh, still it was very, very different to be a developer. At that time, tooling was just emerging for JavaScript and for browser-based applications. Uh, jQuery was a thing, so there was no React, there was no workflows that we are using now and we take for granted. They, they didn't exist back, back then, so it was a very diff- different time. Yeah, I mean, I was an engineer during that time as well, and a lot of the front-end development was either very, very basic, or you got, basically got yourself into a place where it was just like a spectrum of spaghetti code because there's not really any framework for managing any of it. It's just like, you know, jQuery files and stuff all over the place. So I talked a little bit, you mentioned infrastructure as code, and that's something that we've covered on the show uh, several times, most recently with a company called Bridge Crew. But you're essentially applying that to development workflows. Can you elaborate a little bit further on how applying infrastructure as code concept to the development workflows with Code Anywhere? Well, basically, infrastructure as code is just code that describes some infrastructure. And we basically use it for development environments in a sense that you describe your development environment configuration through code. 
And the benefits of that are first, because it's code, it can become part of your source code, so you can just version control it using Git, and now, then you basically know what's going on in that configuration, why it's there, why it changed. But also, recently we adopted the dev container standard from Microsoft that also includes configurations for your ID as well. So those ID configurations can become part of your source code again, but be isolated from basically all of your code in a sense that it's contained in one configuration folder. And basically that configuration folder is your, let's say, infrastructure as code concept translated to development environments. Where did the dev container standard. It started at Microsoft and that's now a standard. Do you know sort of the background and history on where that standard came from or was developed at Microsoft? So they developed it for basically allowing people to spin up develop containerized development environments from VS Code, I think. I think that was the initial idea. So they wanted to make it easier to basically create any containerized development environment just from clicking a few buttons from VS Code. And they now offer like templates for creating different environments from VS Code, I don't know, C Sharp, Node and such. And they basically use that standard not only VS Code, but for, for GitHub code spaces as well. So we see, saw the potential there to implement that standard rather than implement our own. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, when I started my career, much like you in engineering like 20 years ago, when you started a new job, you know, on your first day or maybe even your first couple of days, you spent most of that time just, you know, downloading ID, setting up a compiler, setting up a local host environment getting ready to work essentially on your local machine. And you fast forward 20 years and most people are doing the same thing when they start a new job and they're spending all that time basically setting up their machines. Why do you think that we've kind of held on to this like antiquated way of doing things? So much stuff has moved to the cloud. We do you know, documents, we do spreadsheets, we do taxes, like all this type of stuff. Email have moved to the cloud, yet we're still holding on to this like local host environment for the people who are actually building the products that are now existing in the cloud. I would just compare again to a DevOps revolution that happened, I'd say like 10 years ago. For containers, shipping code was for non-enterprise products and companies. It was difficult. You'd need to have a dedicated engineer who would need to set up a server or a cloud environment, doesn't matter, but he would have to do that by your instructions. And there was no guarantee that it will be set up in the exact way that your software is written for. So now we take for granted, like you, you package your code, you create an artifact and you deploy and you know it works. And that wasn't the thing as far as I remember. We struggled a lot when deploying code. There was differences between staging environments, between production environments. So you take that for granted and still we develop on a local machine, as you said, and we still have those problems. If we are working in a team and we don't have the same environment, there are always issues with compiling code, with running code, with previewing your application. So it's, it's all those uh, little things that can take so much time. And they drain energy. They can really be a turnoff for entire team. And that's something that we also experienced as a company and uh, talking to, especially while uh, in this journey with Code Anywhere, we, we had a lot of contacts with other developers, with other companies. And we figured out that the main pain point is onboarding. That's one thing that we could contribute to as a product. We are not alone in this journey, as, as Thomas said. Even Microsoft has put a great effort on how to solve the problem. And I think that they're doing a great job with that, their container. It's the first standard that we know of that's trying to standardize how development environment is described. So we, when we figured out that we could run 
that we could execute their container JSON configuration inside our environment, it was kind of a no-brainer for us that we should move that way and offer the pretty much what Codespaces offers. So how is, I guess, adopting the dev container standard rather than doing your own you know, version, like transform the product? Has it just made essentially your development lifecycle much easier because you're following the standard? Or what were some of the advantages that you got from using the Microsoft standard versus doing your own thing? Our standard was, we could describe pretty decent and complex environments. And still, it was very similar to Docker Compose. But we, we figured out it's missing code editor configuration that you could configure your preferences and uh, extensions and so on. It was missing so much stuff. And uh, we were looking at the container JSON and we saw, like, okay, they, they have it all here. It's transparent. It's open sourced. So it was kind of no-brainer. There, there's no point to trying to promote another standard, especially we are a company that can't com- be compared to Microsoft. But we don't believe that it's, we don't even need our standard. We just need something that can be useful and you can use that to describe your development environment and we are just need to, to support it in, in our product. And from part of what's happening when someone's using Code Anywhere is you're creating these like ephemeral environments, right? So I guess what makes that different than just local dev environments? So with ephemeral development environments, the idea basically is to spin up the environment whenever you need to contribute to the project. And then when you're done, you just release all the resources. And the main difference is that every time you do so, you start from scratch, basically. And when you start from scratch, there's no way for the environment to be different from anyone's machine because if you start from scratch you follow the same steps to get to that environment you should end up in the same environment whereas locally you're not sure if you want to start over yeah yeah, maybe i can set you up again so with code anywhere creating these ephemeral environments so how is that different than just a, a regular you know local development environment Uh, So the thing is with ephemeral development environments, the idea is to whenever you need to contribute to a project like opening a pull request or such, you spin up a fresh environment from scratch. And when you're done, you basically destroy the environment or the environment destroys itself and that's it. And the difference between that and local environment is that you basically start from scratch. So you always know what you're going to get set up with. Whereas with local environments, you're not sure what each machine has because, I don't know, if maybe I installed Java 18 on my machine, you had Java 11. Those environments are very different and going from those environments to the same point is not the same journey. So with ephemeral environments, you're always guaranteed that the environment you're going to end up with is exactly the same. Does that still allow, I guess, like personal customization? You know, a lot of people, a lot of developers like I want my IDE to look a certain way or I want certain, you know, combination of keystrokes that do certain things. Can I still have that, you know, level of customization? Yeah, of course. So the dev container standard, as we said, actually includes configurations and customizations for IDEs currently for VS Code and Code Spaces. And those preferences are meant to be set for let's say project specific preferences so I don't know if you're developing in Python you need a Python extension and you would set up the Python extension preferences just for that that project but personal personal uh, preferences like I don't know themes key key maps or such can be uh, again personalized and they can move with you because from code anywhere's perspective you can configure user preferences from for your account specifically that will just be for your account and They'll be basically waiting for you each time you spin up an environment and those preferences aren't shared, whereas those, let's say, dev container preferences are shared and are project specific. 
Yeah, and I guess one advantage of that is that just like my email or something like that, I can basically move from machine to machine. And I'm going to have the exact same you know experience. Was I guess the fact that you're spinning up these new environments each time and then tearing them down is that like a you know inefficient process for someone? I guess because you're you're essentially booting up this entire environment each time and then it goes away when the person's like done whatever that they're doing. So it would be inefficient if it would, it was just so literal like setting up a laptop and then destroying the laptop <laughs> so uh, that would be inefficient but when talking about this technology that uses containers well containers can be spun up and destroyed pretty fast and easily and it actually is more efficient to spin up each uh, the environment each time and destroy it each time because first you're basically saving resources you aren't using them when the developer is not really contributing to the project and again we're moving back to the ephemeral workflow where you need to start from scratch each, each time to get to the same point of the environment so if you keep reusing the same environment in the cloud let's say for a couple of weeks you end up with the same problem of different environments because you're going to install something in it and and such but when starting from scratch each time you create a commit or or anything like that you are basically guaranteed to end up in the same environment right and i guess even if there is some like boot up cost in comparison to the kind of like technical debt that a company is taking on each time like someone makes you know a library update that then breaks other people's code when they do the check in to their local environment and they have to do the updates you're saving you know that that cost significantly by essentially building all these things in the cloud so beyond some of the challenges that you mentioned that you're essentially helping development teams with essentially the standardization and and essentially everybody can kind of get the same infrastructure regardless of you know the constraints of their their machine what other challenges are you helping teams solve over you know a traditional way of developing software as thomas said onboarding is a very frustrating for for developers and it can consume so much time and it can drain energy and it's very demotivating for developers especially if if it takes so much time also it's when you're working on a project and you need to check out to a different branch for example, if you have old version of your software that you still have to maintain and you change so much in your infrastructure, development infrastructure, for example, database version, uh, language runtime and so on, you need to make all those changes on your local environment usually and those can take, again, so much time and can cause another set of problems. You then apply a fix or you make some changes to your code, then you have to move back to your current version and you still have to, again, repeat all that process and you do it again and again, and it's just a waste of time. And I think for developers, time is, time is money. And also not just money, it's, it's uh, how they feel and it's about their happiness. So I think uh, if you provide them with a way that they can just work, that's enormous benefit. And there, there is, of course, some trade-off. As you said, you need to wait some time until that environment is spun up. But there are ways to compensate. So we can talk about it later. There is a pre-made environment that can be created in the background. So when you commit something to your branch, hook can be triggered and environment can be created and is just waiting to be started. So that, that reduces a uh, time from, let's say, minutes to merely seconds to spin up a fresh environment. So I guess that's kind of similar to how like front-end code does like prefetching. You're essentially prefetching the environment beforehand, setting it up so that it's like, ready to go in the background? Yeah, it passes through all those steps that needs to be for complete environment. For example, it can pull all Docker images that you need for databases and other infrastructure primitives. 
and it can also run in its scripts. So all packages are already pre-pulled and some steps are already done and you end up with ready-to-go environment. So you just need to spin up the environment that already has everything in it. And there's a bunch of different you know, potential use cases of code anywhere from like straightforward like software engineering, we're just going to move to cloud, we're going to do our development there, to using it as like a, potentially an interview platform, to there's also a number of like collaboration features. What are the typical use cases that you're seeing from some of your customers? So software development is the obvious one. Companies using it for internal development. But we also uh, saw potential use cases in companies that are attracting developers to their platforms. For example, SDKs or API platforms. Uh, they can use this uh, such a setup to basically create uh, really fast environments for their examples and on their documentation side. For example, you offer an SDK to developers and it takes some time to set up that SDK locally. Again, you have to go through some process, download the SDK, configure what needs to be done. With this kind of setup, you can just click a button in the documentation, get a fully featured environment, an ID in the browser, and actually start coding on that SDK. And we basically call that time, or it's called the time to first hello world for, that's the metric basically. And we take that time to first hello world from basically hours to seconds because it just takes that click of a button and you get a fully featured environment. You, you can get your API keys already set up in the environment. Uh, you mentioned, uh, of course, interviewing platforms because of the collaboration features. So we, can essentially remove the need to basically code in Google Docs because Google Docs is a collaborative. And if you have a fully featured collaborative ID, you can actually test out, I don't know, terminal skills with the collaboration terminal and coding skills in inside the text editor. Another potential use case is we work with a company that uses this to present their platform to their clients. So they just offered the environments to their clients so they can play around for a week, for example, and then test out their platform using our environments. Because again, it removes the needs for their clients to go through the setup process and they can just really be make a seamless experience in trying out the platform. Yeah, and I think one of the things, Toma, that you said during your, your talk was that you're really transforming this experience for developers from essentially, you know, clone a repo, read through a readme, go through a configuration, try to run it, doesn't work. Then you go back and read the readme again and go through all this configuration to essentially click a button, start coding, which I think is also like you can kind of see the inspiration that came from Google Docs because Google Docs, like there's a lot of things that you can do it in it, but you can give it to almost anybody and they can start typing and do, you know, find value in it. And it seems like you're sort of taking that philosophy to essentially the development world. So what are the types of businesses that you're actually seeing make this shift from, you know, local development to essentially cloud-based development? Is that, you know, newer tech startups or are these, you know, older legacy systems or products as well, or like even large enterprises, are they all making this shift or is it, you know, you're seeing sort of this concentration of people moving the cloud in, in certain verticals? That's a really good question. And we are constantly discussing this with our team. It's funny that in last year, a lot of, let's say, old companies that are in business for more than two decades, they approached us when, when they saw the a new product that we still didn't release for, for B2C. In our B2B contacts, we, we had a lot of inbound from older companies. 
that are struggling with keeping their environments ready to code. They have a lot of problems with onboarding. Keeping developers these days is hard. And I feel that like companies are now fighting for developers and they want their developers to be happy and to remain in the company. And we see that they approached us with how to solve the problem of keeping their environments ready to code. So I was very skeptical about these older companies as they have this traditional way of doing development. But seems that times are really changing and I believe that all companies, no matter size, can, can benefit from this approach. Yeah, and I think one of the points that Sean Wang made in his talk was that you don't need you know, the highest end laptop to do development if your development essentially exists in the cloud because then you're, you're not depending on all the resources of the laptop to essentially run the code uh, uh, locally. So there's, I think, beyond the efficiency gains that a company is getting, you're potentially getting essentially cost savings because you're not having to give all your developers you know, $10,000 machine that you have to then replace every single year. So how does a company go about like making this shift, I guess? Like what's the process? Is there downtime? You know, what's your recommendation for someone who's kind of moving from essentially it's like a, a movement from on-prem to cloud, but they're moving, you know, on-prem development environments to a cloud-based development environment? I think the first requirement is to have this mindset of that you need to package your application. And if you are already using containers in, in that process, I don't believe there is a blocker for moving to ephemeral environments. As long as you already have those pipelines set up, those can be translated to development environments. And then if you implement those in development environments, you make that process easier for your DevOps guys because you already create a lot of configuration in your development environment that they can look into. You don't need to communicate with them by emails or writing documentation or instructions. Many, many of these dependencies are already included in your development environment configuration. But if you have some other ways of, of deployment, it might be a problem. So I think having uh, containers as a part of your workflow is a requirement to, to, to move this way. And then does it help if someone's already using like an infrastructure as code type of deployment through like Terraform or something like that to make this migration to using code anywhere? Not sure about how it's related to Terraform, and Terraform can be used in multiple ways, but if you are packaging your application services in containers, and if you are already creating those artifacts, then you are aware of all of those goodies that kind of packaging offers you. So it's the same way for development. And if you can describe your runtime environment to build in a container image, I think you are good to go for making this shift in development environments. I see. And then if you have like certain requirements, like, you know, a MySQL database for application storage, I don't know, Redis for caching, Redshift for a warehouse, how does the configuration and setup work for getting started with Code Anywhere? Basically, exactly the same as you would set, up, set it up locally, but translated to code. So the dev container standard actually relies on Docker and Docker Compose. So basically anything that can that Docker Compose can run, it can be run in the cloud. And not only that, if you move your environment to the cloud, you actually, if you need to, you can connect to some shared database if that's a requirement. So... You're not, and that again can be uh, standardized and included in parts of your configuration. So you can make the development process easier, even if you're packaging the entire development environment into that cloud environment, or if you're connecting to Redis externally or a database externally. Mm -hmm. And then I guess you're as part of the 
configuration, you're essentially supplying your whatever credentials you need to connect to those different services. Uh, yeah, of course, because each user that tries to create an environment needs to be authenticated into the system, we can basically pull any credentials from their account that need to be pulled and inject them into the environment with, I don't know, environment variables or anything similar. I see, yeah. So you're, I guess, kind of mimicking the same experience that you would get with developing locally where you can customize some of those things to connect to like your instance of MySQL, but you can do that essentially in the cloud. Yeah, of course. What are some of the you know, main, if any, limitations of running your development environment in the cloud versus developing locally? Are there limitations? So the current limitations, I mean, people always ask us this question and there are questions like what about native development and what about uh, Mac development, Windows development and such. And uh, currently what we are 100% sure is that everything that runs on Linux will run inside these containers. And with native development, it it, of course, can be done, but it would require some additional setup using again, some external tools that will allow you to actually see what's going on with the, these applications. But other than that, I mean, of course, again, Apple software is locked into Apple software, so that, that of course, isn't really easy to transfer to the cloud and develop in the cloud. And these limitations are unfortunately out of our control, but we're trying to do everything we can to support basically any development workflow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something like Android development, essentially, you could run an emulator to run your code. Yeah, of course, you can run an emulator and then connect that emulator from your local machine again. And then I think one of the like seemingly, I, I guess, unique features of CodeAnywhere is also the live collaboration. So why did you, you know, build this feature? What was sort of the inspiration and how are you seeing people use it? So live collaboration, I basically was, I think, brought onto the company to work on the collaboration. So we started off working on a VS Code extension for collaboration. And that was at a time that actually, I think, LiveShare was starting up and starting to gain traction. And we basically wanted to create a VS Code extension that we can then port into our online ID. Because, of course, collaboration should be a part of your workflow. There's there shouldn't be a need to ever copy-paste blocks of code into Slack or Meet or whatever. Your coding tool should be your collaboration tool. So we decided to build every collaboration feature we can into the ID to actually allow you to get the full collaborative experience inside the ID. And then we, what we did in the end, we moved from that VS Code extension to create our own Thea ID extension because the Thea is the editor we use in the browser. And I think it worked out pretty well because we got a lot of inbound, uh, inbound actually questions about that used for interviewing platforms or we actually have some schools that use it for lectures where the professor can just connect to his workspace and then all the students can come along to his workspace, follow his cursor, look at what he's editing, collaborate on terminals and such. So it really creates this seamless collaboration experience that's all, all the way around. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish I had had something like that when I was doing my undergrad. We were still turning in our assignments with floppy disks uh, back then. So <laughs> it's good to see that the you know university education is starting to modernize as well. So you mentioned the, uh, you've mentioned the Dev Container Center for Microsoft. What are some of the other you know technologies, your tech stack essentially that you're using to build code anywhere? We are using Kubernetes as our workspace orchestrator. Mm -hmm. And we are using 
kata containers and firecrackers to create those isolated pods. I mean, basically, a workspace is an, our name for development environment. And translated to infrastructure, it's a pod. So those are technologies that we use to spin those in the cloud. And we do JavaScript, I mean, TypeScript and Go languages for as our development languages for, for Code Anywhere. Not sure about, we use some databases, messaging technologies like MQPay and uh, not sure. That's it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's very techy, you know, like infrastructure product. So there is, of course, a programming language and development, but we rely, rely heavily on technology. And then how does, I guess, Code Anywhere compare to some of the competitors in the market, companies like, or products like Gitpod and Coder, GitHub, Codespaces? Good question. We started a new product. So just a disclaimer before, as I was talking how we started, we were an online ID company for a while. We created a product that was really useful for web developers, students, I would say really small teams, but we, we just couldn't scale for more serious development. But it, we got a lot of inbound on requests to basically make Code Anywhere more powerful. We also evolved as a company and as a team in the last decade. And we started to work on a new product with this ephemeral idea about three years ago. And it's funny, in that time, Gitpod was gaining traction. Microsoft announced Codespaces. Coder was the guys, they did the VS Code in a browser, and it's called CodeServer or something. And it got a great traction, and they started a coder company. So before that, there was a Cloud9, there was Nitros, there was... I can't remember, but one company particularly inspiring for us was Code Envy, and they are now called Code Ready. Code. Code. Oh yeah, Che Code Ready. Code Ready from Eclipse. From Eclipse, yeah. yeah. And they were the first that kind of envisioned this orchestration of development environments. That was like wow, wow effect for me. Mm-hmm. And then, as we worked on our product, other companies also offered their products. We saw that it's very similar, and this time we didn't want to go any other direction and we ended up in I would say very similar products so Gitpod Codespaces Coder is maybe a bit different but they are offer very very similar feature set they use underlying different technologies but I can't really make big conceptual differences and I, I don't think that's a bad thing it shows that they are all like on the same way to create a better experience for development environments and it's a validation that we are moving in a good direction. Right, yeah. And if you compare even local development, like IDEs, purely, you know, JBuilder to Eclipse during its heyday, and, you know, functionally, they're not that different. It really comes down to what makes sense for a company. And then, you know, there's little features that maybe are better fit for some people than others. And so you've been, veteran. you've been at this for, you know, a number of years now. What are, I guess, some of the lessons that you've learned as both an engineer working on this product as well as an entrepreneur developing code anywhere? Yeah, it's hard to describe this in a few sentences, but one of the things that I figured out, it's very valuable, it's having a good team and good and flexible team and that understands each other and that you can have a good conversation and understanding. So that's one of the things that I would say are crucial for a company to succeed, especially if you are doing tooling. It's, it's very hard. It's very hard. You are selling your product to folks that are probably better than you. And many of them have more experience, more knowledge. You have to cover 
many aspects in, of this business. So having a good team, it's very crucial. And also uh, ability to adapt and to change. I think if you move to a wrong direction, and it happened to us a lot during these 10 years in Code Anywhere, you lose precious time and it's really hard to catch up later. So one thing that you need to be aware of is to always question your product. Are you moving to a good direction and have a good relation with your customer? A good feedback. So those are all, all important things that I wish I knew before. Yeah, I think that's the hard lessons of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> you learn a lot of these things along the way and you wish you could go back and tell your younger self <laughs> these things, but that's why the second company is a little bit easier. But so as I mentioned, you know, this is my first time in Croatia and in a past life, I did a lot of work with InfoBip, which is also headquartered in Croatia and it's, you know, a monster company now. It's worth over a billion dollars, completely bootstrapped. But beyond, I guess, Code Anywhere and InfoBip, What's the like Croatian tech scene and startup scene like? Is this an emerging market and for not only talent, but I guess for companies as well? I think we can both give our opinion, especially since there is so much age difference. (laughs) I was around as a software developer for 20 years. It's about the time that I got into college and I started working immediately. So back then it was a very, very different time in Croatia. There were no meetups, there was no no scene, you know, like these days. And being a developer was usually meant that you work for a company and you work on a product. Entrepreneurship was a word that I only discovered later. But in the last 10 years, I see that it's very different. It's evolving very fast. It's still not on a level that you will see in the US or I would say Western Europe, but at Croatia, as well as the other parts of, of Eastern Europe in the last decade, it's very, very different, uh, different story. Uh, younger people, they have this mentality of entrepreneurship and socializing, and they do meetups, they do events, and now it's, it's much, much better than 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And Toma? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I can't speak for 10 years ago because I was, I don't know which grade, not even in high school, but... I think it really, the development community grows each time. I mean, we see conferences popping up in a couple of cities each year and meetups as well, and especially in Zagreb. Zagreb has a really nice tech scene. You can probably go to a meetup every day. And we have, I don't know, I think two unicorns in Croatia currently. And I think if any developer shouldn't even have a problem finding a job here, I don't know, you can just probably walk into any company because everyone's looking for developers currently here because every company is growing and but developers are still catching up. But I think even amongst my peers, I can see that everyone is actually working while studying, essentially. And even some high school, I started in high school as well. And I think that shows some trend of like the development community growing actually in creation. Yeah, and I think, you know, the internet and all the things that we have available to us to sort of stay connected and also tapped into different areas of the world has really sort of democratized the idea of like entrepreneurship. You're seeing a lot of entrepreneurship in in the tech scene in, in parts of the world that are not typically associated with that, whether it's, you know, Eastern Europe or there's a lot of growth in Africa as well. There's a lot of fintech companies that are coming out of parts of Africa. So I guess like what's next for Code Anywhere? Is there things that you can share in terms of you know, future roadmap items or things that you're really excited about? Yeah, we are going to definitely keep moving in this direction. At the moment, we just have a new business-to-business product that can be installed on-prem on your environment. 
the plan is to offer this product for our B2C customers by the end of the year. We will also keep supporting the old product. ID will still be available for all our existing users. And if they don't want to make a shift, it's fine. We are not going to kill the product. But the company itself will be 100% focused on a new product from now on. And we'll be adding more and more features. We plan to support Dev Container Standard to its full extent. So at the moment, we support major features, but there are still like configuration options that we need to support. We also have inbound for supporting OpenShift, which is kind of hard, but enterprise companies are, many of enterprise companies are using OpenShift platform. So that's also one of our goals for B2B product. And it's early to say, but we, we have serious plans for open sourcing uh, products. So that's also on our roadmap. Well, that's exciting. I guess, is there anything else that you would like the audience to know as we start to wrap up here? Well, I mean, nothing major. I just want to say that we really are invested and we think that development environments are moving to the cloud because we see a lot of benefits. And we just hope that more and more developers will continue with this shift towards the cloud because we see it as something that will provide a more seamless flow and allow developers to basically just focus on their work and basically just be developers. And that's our vision and what we're invested in moving forward. I would add also the end of localhost doesn't mean that you're not going to use a local environment. It's just the way that you can use it in a, I'd say, a different way that you can utilize containers to really boost up your development experience and make it easier. And then cloud component is just an add-on to that workflow. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that makes a ton of sense. And if you look at some of the you know, biggest technology companies in the world, like Facebook and Google, they've made this move internally with their own you know, versions of these types of products. And I think a lot of times looking at those really huge companies is a good way to sort of triangulate on where the tech scene is moving because they are typically hitting a scale problems much, much earlier than other tech companies because not that many tech companies have 100,000 engineers like they have at Google. So I want to thank you both for coming on the show. It was great to be able to do this in person, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm excited to see where Code Anywhere goes and see how it continues to develop. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And hope we talk sometime soon.